are going to spend quite a bit of time today with Shane Neiman. I met Shane a while ago uh, in doing his Entrepreneur Journeys story, and I found a lot of interesting insights and lessons in his journey that I really wanted to highlight and showcase for you. So uh, that's what we're going to do for a while today, and then we'll see what else we have time for. Shane, welcome to the show. It's a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So Shane, um, let's start kind of with a, you know, your summary. You started your journey as a solo entrepreneur, which I want to spend some time on. You built two bootstrap companies and found successful exits for both of them. So tell us about the solo entrepreneur phase of your journey. And, and the reason I really want to dig into this issue is there's a lot of bias against solo entrepreneurs uh, in the investor segment, which we're trying to counter. So I want to hear what you are now that you're also an investor, how you are processing all this. And, um, you know, I just want to underscore the fact that one of my favorite entrepreneurs whom I've been tracking for a very, very long time, over 15 years, I met him at, at a very early stage of his journey. This is Fred Luddy, founder of ServiceNow, who was a solo founder. Today, that company is <laughs> like a hundred billion kind of market cap. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the ultimate example, right, of what can be exactly. done as a solo. Exactly. So, so tell us about your journey, how you started as a solo entrepreneur, and how you put one foot before the, the other. Uh, sure. So I actually, preceding my solar, uh, solo entrepreneurship, uh, I was doing, I, I did a failed startup that wasn't a solo, solo entrepreneurship. Um, so uh, out of out of college, I went to NYU. Uh, I, I actually went to medical school for, mm -hmm. I, I was at a degree in computer science. So I did the pre-med track and I also uh, studied computer science. So during college, I was working as a programmer and this uh, doing development work for various uh, companies and and some startups in New York City. Um, and that kind of gave me a taste of what it was like to work uh, in the tech industry uh, and and make some serious cash <laughs> at that time because that kind of skill was uh, really coveted and hard to find, uh, especially during the early web days. Um, but you know, my, my plan was really to go to medical school um, and I went to uh, about half a year of medical school. I went to NYU Med and I uh, ended up dropping out, uh, getting lured by the startup, you know, glamor uh, and kind mm -hmm. of pu pulled, out of, uh, pulled out of that to do a, um, I, guess, I guess it was, at that time, we didn't have the word for it. It was, it was, a, it was a blogging system. It was one of the first blogging systems. Uh, we called it a content management or publishing system. But I was the lead developer at a company called Convey.com at the time that had gotten funding. What year was this? Um, this would have been, uh, 
like 1999-ish, 1999, okay. 2000. Right before the dot com uh, crash. Yeah, yeah, like 2001. Yeah, so so I went there for like six months, and and during that six months, I really built out a, you know, a system, and really kind of we were thinking way ahead, and um, I had a roommate that was working at Goldman Sachs at the time uh, because New York City is notoriously expensive for rent, but my roommate happened to be a, my friend from high school. He was working at Goldman Sachs. And he said, listen, um, there's this crazy technology called Citrix. And we want, why don't, there's this idea of creating what's called an ASP, which is an application service provider. Uh, at that time, now we call it SaaS, right? <laughs> so not, 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 not the terminology, you know, a lot of the terminology that's used now was not in existence in, the, in those early times. Um, yeah. so, so in any, in any case, he, he kind of convinced me and said, listen, this let, you know, leave your, leave your, leave your job. You be the CTO. I'll, you know, get the money and do the business aspect. And we had like another friend or two that, that could kind of come in and help also. And we went in and did this and we were, uh, I guess, 22 years old. And at that time, kind of similar to now, but, uh, a lot less, let's say, due diligence right? And as, as, as uh, pe people were just kind of giving away money to anything that had anything to do with .com or being online yeah. or that kind of thing. Um, there was very little due diligence actually before people were willing to write checks. Yes, um, in retrospect, I wouldn't have given me that, that kind of check to be honest with you. Uh, but, you know, we actually, we, we got like a million dollars, a little, almost $2 million, I think. Um, uh, but I wasn't part of like the finance portion of things. I was really the CTO and we built this company and we hired people and we built a platform that was essentially Microsoft 365, right? Um, we called it utilitizing computing because we didn't have the word for SaaS because you had to yeah. pay a monthly fee like you would pay a monthly fee for your utility bill, right? And you would get your apps delivered to you through a web portal um, and we built an app, essentially what was an app store because you could pick which apps you wanted for how many users and pay for them on a monthly basis. And we hosted your files kind of like Dropbox and, you know, it was this whole concept of your, you know, you could get your apps and your office anywhere you were on any computer or any device by logging into this portal. Um, Suffice to say, uh, because of the dot-com bubble burst, because of 9-11, because of being way too early for what we were trying to do, there was broadband penetration issues. There was also the psychological issue of businesses getting over paying, you know, monthly yeah. instead of paying for just like that, you know, they were, they just bought Microsoft Office and that's how they thought it worked, right? Um, so after that, I was pretty much completely broke, let's just say. Um, I had put, I had saved something in the order of, I don't know, $75,000 or something like that, that I had put all my money into the business. We hadn't taken, uh, and, and all the partners had, um, and we hadn't taken salaries. Um, the 
the investors never put in all the money that they were supposed to put in to kind of keep us afloat. And, um, you know, I found myself in a situation where I had really no money. I, I kind of moved in with my girlfriend at the time uh, to save on mm -hmm. rent. Um, and um, also it was kind of weird because nobody wanted software engineers because all the dot-com <laughs> companies went bust, right? Which is weird now, right? Because there's a huge demand for software engineers. So I found yeah. myself, and, and you know, what was ironic about that is that I did computer science as a backup in case I didn't get into med medical school. That was like my backup plan, right? Uh, so even your backup plan doesn't sometimes work. So that's, that's pretty interesting too. Um, anyway, so the, the, that's when my journey as a solo entrepreneur kind of started. Um, and it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of unique because it really is, you know, kind of in an industry that you wouldn't really expect. Um, and at that time, I, I, I just mentioned, I, you know, I moved in with my girlfriend and she was uh, going to college in, 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 in uh, New York at the time. And she was, you know, doing, you know, n events and nightclubs and that kind of stuff. And I was going to them and she was working there at, at, the, at, the, at those places. Um, and I really had nothing else to do because I didn't have a job and I couldn't find a job. And while I was there, I realized that, you know, the whole event and nightclub and restaurant and bar industry was really backwards. Um, and they were kind of doing things uh, very manually and analog. They had printed flyers that they would give out in front of the places. They had um, people who would go around with a clipboard and write down your name and phone number to call you um, and your address to send you postcards. Um, there was no way of people really finding out on the web about what's going on, where, um, there was like a yeah. time out magazine just came out, but there, there really wasn't anything. And that's when the idea for a company named Junebug came up for me. Um, and it really just kind of started as like a website with just listing what events are going on. Cause I, I had that insider information. Uh, you know, like this, this day is this place and this is going on and just kind of starting mm -hmm. as a directory and an email, email list that went on that way. Um, and then it, it really kind of morphed into an, an online, it, what, what we were, what it turned into is something where I was trying to bring the offline events world to, to online. And um, mm -hmm. what's important to understand is this is pre-Facebook, pre-MySpace, pre-Eventbrite, pre-all of that, right? Um, and what it morphed into uh, over time is uh, developing tools for the event, the event industry, like a ticketing system. Um, we created a huge email list of over a million subscribers. Uh, that were uh, young urban professionals that went out. We were one of the first. That all New York City? I am sorry. Was that all New York City? Uh, so initially it was for the first few years because we were local to there, but then we kind of expanded out to 
LA and Miami and major metropolitan areas, um, some Philly and different cities. Yeah, so we moved into as we expanded, we, we moved into different cities. And one of the things that we did that was really interesting is at that time, camera phones were pretty much non-existent. Um, and, you know, the, having a digital camera was really expensive. So most people didn't have one. There were thousands of dollars. Um, and so we invested in buying those and then going to all the events that were happening, taking pictures at them, um, sending, you know, literally maybe, you know, hundreds of events a week, taking pictures of their, of all the patrons, giving them a card to look up their, their picture online, right? And then we would do data capture on them. And that's how we, that's how we, you know, in order to see the photo, you would have to give us your data. Okay. And that's how we and amassed the uh, so there was the traditional media model where we sold, you know, ads um, uh, on our website. We sold the photos, the digital, you know, the print copies, which was a very, you know, it doesn't seem like it, but we, you know, we found a way to have a third-party printer, you know, batch take yeah. them, and then you know you can sell them for pretty expensive, and they're they're very very cheap to make. Um, we actually started doing our own events because we had our own database. So we started mm -hmm. storing our own events and those were really big uh, money makers for us because, um, you know, nights like New Year's Eve and Halloween are nights that everybody goes out. And since we yeah. had our own database, we leveraged the database of people that we know go out because we took pictures of them, right? And we knew that, you know, we would ask them information like their age, their sex, their, um, you know, all this demographic information. So we could slice and dice the, the data um, the way that we needed to and target certain, certain people. So we started getting clients like Johnny Walker who wanted to, you know, do Johnny Walker tastings. And they wanted yeah. males that were 24 to 42, right? And so we could we we could accommodate those types of uh, things, mm -hmm. and so we started getting sponsors, advertisers. So there's a whole ad revenue portion, and then there was a ticket sales portion, and then we started selling these tools to other event um, promoters, venues, that kind of thing. Um, and that was that was a um, a little bit over ten years of my life uh, doing. That. How long of that 10-year journey, how much of that was a solo entrepreneur and uh, when did you switch? At what milestone did you switch? I was always, uh, well, my girlfriend was a minor partner. And so, you know, when we started, so she was she was a partner, but she, you know, I, I this is one piece of advice is that um, in my experience, if you want to uh, ruin a, a romantic relationship, get into business with the, <laughs> with the, you know, your partner, uh, which is what happened with us. Uh, although we were smart enough and civilized enough not to let that ruin our business relationship because we had uh, too good of a thing going at that time. So we both wanted to salvage that and we were lucky that we were mature enough to do that, but not too many. But you were most, but for the 10 years that you ran this business, you were effectively a solo entrepreneur. I was, I was, we were, I was running the, you know, I was running the business, um, you know, 
obviously with the help of my girlfriend who was a, a partner also, but we were effectively a, a, a solo entrepreneur. I was, I, I had all the tech experience. I was doing all the, all, all the, you know, initially when I first got started, I was programming all of it myself. Right. Um, and it was quick and dirty. And, you know, I, you know, I got a $25 hosting account on, uh, I don't even remember, there wasn't even GoDaddy then, right? Like there, I don't even remember what hosting company I used. It was some no name hosting company that I used. And, um, you know, I had to figure out how to get the, 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 the photos off the camera because of that's, you know, you take these things for granted, right? Like, Back then, take, just getting the photos off the camera onto your computer was a long, like complicated okay. process, right? Uh, so, so anyway, we, you know, I started really humbly. I, I you know, I built my, my own um, logo in the very basic Photoshop that I knew, right? On a pirated copy that I had on my, on my computer. Uh, that I got from school at some some point, um, you know, I, I did everything really scrappy and I, and as much of it as I could possibly do by myself uh, to learn. And also, I also feel like what was really important about that was that when I hired other people to do things, I was able to really understand whether or not they were doing it correctly or not, because I had done it before. Right. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And and that 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 was a real advantage that I had for myself. And, you know, we started. What kind of, uh -huh. Sorry, what kind of revenue level did Junebug get to? Uh, we were doing tens of millions at the end. We were doing tens of millions of dollars in in uh, in overall sales. That was a mix of both ticket sales and also ad revenue. Uh, to, to kind of and, get, and you I, did all the ad sales and everything on your own? I did, initially I did. I remember I got the first, the first advertiser I got was a uh, boutique that was doing a sample sale, and they asked me how much I wanted to send out an email blast, and I said five thousand dollars. I just made up a number, right? Whatever I thought was really expensive at that time. And they were like, "Okay, come pick up a check, and we'll give it to you. We'll do it. We'll send it next week." And I couldn't believe it, right? Like it was, I remember I was walking with like a huge smile on my face to get this check from this place that was like, I don't know, 10 blocks away. And then we sent out the email blast and they did really well. And they were like, we want to do this every month and that kind of stuff. Uh, so initially I did, but then we we hired a media team to, to start selling the ads. and. Uh, to deal with bigger brands, you really need to do that. Um, so, we, so is that an agency that you hired? You still remain kind of like a solo entrepreneur and you hired an agency to do the, to do, do the selling? Because you're saying that you did this, you know, multi-million dollar business or tens of millions of dollar business as a solo entrepreneur almost. Yeah, so we, uh, I mean, we hired, yeah, they were like, you know, um, they're, they're, they were like, 1030, 1031 guys that you, uh, that you, uh, you can, or 1099 one, ones. 1099. Yeah, 1099 okay, guys can kind of help. Um, yeah. And then, you know, and we, at the end of this, um, what 
ended up happening is is that uh, you know one of the, you know we would send emails a lot, right? And that was a big source of us kind of doing ticket sales and also doing, um, uh, you know, we would sell the email list to, to do ads. So there was, there was like, there was a whole ad component to that too. Um, and as time went on, the efficacy of email got worse and worse because yeah. when we first started, we were the only game in your inbox, right? And then, you know, then spam filters came into play, right? And so we had to fight to stay in the inbox. And then once we were in the inbox, we were one of 2,555, you know, emails that you were getting from the yeah. brand, the sponsor, the venue, the, you know, and like a, a million other people doing the same thing that we were, right? Um, yeah. And plus every e-commerce company you can imagine, right? Uh, so. I was looking for a way to cut through the clutter at that time. And uh, in 2005-ish, 2000, late 2005, 2006, uh, there was, you know, there was the rise of texting in the United States. Yeah. And, you know, I started, you know, I had a Blackberry and, you know, it was easier to text. And I was thinking to myself, wait, how do we, you know, we're sending all these emails how do we text everyone? We have everyone's phone numbers and they opted in to get communications from us. How do we send them texts? And, um, you know, I did a couple Google searches and I, and I was kind of looking for a constant contact or a, or a MailChimp type thing that was for texting. texting. Uh, and there, not, like nothing existed. I, you know, I spent hours that day researching, figuring it out, trying to figure it out. I could find some things in like the UK and maybe in Asia and stuff that was available, but nothing in the United States. Uh, and so that took me on the journey of starting easy texting, um, mm -hmm. which was initially an SMS broadcasting tool that I built for Joombug to use. And the, the initial, idea was, hey, I have all these clients, I'm going to give them access to this SMS broadcasting tool that we use internally also to send messages to our database and every and these other uh, clients have their own database. Um, and they can start sending texts to their to their, you know, their recipients, and we'll charge them a fee to do that. And yeah. subsidize the tremendous cost of building out this software. That's that's what I was thinking initially, right? Yeah. Uh, well, after two months, it wasn't just subsidizing it with just a handful of customers. It, it, we were doing like $10,000 in profit. And the light bulb went off in my head. And I said, wow, wait, Shane, if this is only with, I don't know, 20 customers or something like that, imagine what we could do with you know, hundreds, thousands. I, you know, I wasn't thinking that big at that point. I was thinking hundreds. You know, I and I took out a, <laughs> I opened Excel and I and I kind of did the math and I'm like, what would it be like if we had a hundred, you know, customers? Yeah. What would it be like if we got 150 customers? Uh, and yeah. I'm like, oh wow, that's like 100, 200, 300 thousand dollars. That's a lot of money, right? Uh, so I said, okay, this time to kind of 
break this out into his own thing and let's build out this software, build it out so that you can do self sign up. At that time, we didn't have self sign up because we were just kind of giving it to certain customers of ours, right? Uh, and yeah. it's, it's time to kind of make it into its own uh, product standalone. We make a website for it. We uh, did, did SEO and SEM for it and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, timeline-wise, uh, in what time frame did you decide to exit Junebug and spin out Easy Texting as a separate company? So um, by, by a year, within, within a year, I had kind of spun out Easy Texting into its own company. And I found that I was spending a lot more time on Easy Texting on uh, than Junebug quite frankly, because I really liked it a lot more. It was really like up my alley because I love computer science. I love software. Uh, and yeah. I also was seeing tremendous success and growth in that company, right? Um, and yeah. that was exciting. It was really exciting. I also saw the, the TAM being much bigger for that. Um, and the, the, you know, uh, essentially, what 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 was weighing down Junebug at that time was the advent of social media, right? So yeah. people were finding you know finding out where to go through MySpace, through uh, Facebook, and other you know other social media means. So we became we started becoming less and less relevant, uh, let's say. Um, and so I had a I had an opportunity uh, two years after I started Easy Texting, so around 2007. Uh, 2000, 2007 or 2008, um, I exited Junebug and I sold it to a strategic competitor of ours. Um, and, and did they just come to you? Did you approach them? How did you find that exit? I we actually were we were friendly, but we were fierce competitors. Uh, and so I approached him and I said, "Listen, you know something's got to give." Um, I'd be willing to discuss, you know, selling the company if that's something that you're interested in. And that way, you know, we can, you can get rid of this crazy com competitive where we're driving prices up for us, for, for, for e each of us. And, uh, you know, we came to terms that made sense for both of us. Um, because I think. And what level of an exit was it? Um, it was, it was a. It was a large exit, um, but we also had, you know, because I was a sole entrepreneur, um, you know, I had a lot of debt. So I was using debt during that time. So I, I paid out some debt that I had smaller, you know, uh, partners that I had to pay out. Um, and I also had been financing um, the growth of easy texting myself, right, through my own right. money. And I, I and I took the majority of that money to supercharge the growth of easy texting someday because i i really i really believed in it that much and um you know i was willing to kind of go like almost all in you know all chips in kind of situation and um, were there other people in easy texting or were you doing that also as a solo entrepreneur no i i i i did that by myself um but i did hire employees um, so I had, I had employee, I didn't have like partners, I was a CEO. And so I had yeah. 
you know, I hired a CTO, a, 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 um, a COO, uh, you know, a sales. We had an inside sales team because there's this whole concept of in SaaS where there are farmers versus hunters. Um, I'm not, so we, we were like, we, were, we had the farmer model. So we would run ads, funnel people into a um, free trial of the software. Yeah. And then we would have an inside sales team that would call those people and try yeah. and convert them into paying customers. Great. So um, how long did you do easy texting? So in, so in the first year of easy texting, we, we did about half a million dollars in revenue, which was pretty impressive. And impressive, it, yeah. And it was growing like gangbusters, hundreds of percent in the beginning. Um, and uh, I did that until 2013, where I exited to another strategic um, who happened to be a client of ours. Um, they were a large client of ours and they, they did the same kind of thing. They weren't solo entrepreneurs. They were six guys that were like tight friends that had started a SaaS company that was um, like a call tracking software uh, and, 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 and kind of robocalling software, but for like um, government agencies and for uh, schools and stuff like that and emergency calling and that kind of thing. Uh, and so they wanted to kind of have an SMS component um, and they saw they didn't have that. Uh, they were using us as their backend provider. And then um, they, we worked out a deal to do an acquisition. They did it through uh, a, a capital raise through Morgan Stanley. I see. So, um, how, uh, in, in terms of the journey with uh, easy texting, how many people did that grow to, and what kind of revenue levels did that grow to in the you know seven years or so that you did that? So, First year was half a million then. So we, I kept the team very lean um, because I didn't think we really needed it and we were growing organically. And, um, uh, you know, we had, I would say in the beginning, maybe just like six people, something like this. Yeah. Um, and then we grew our team so we had two teams. We had one team in New York City and we had another team, which were a, a big team of developers in uh, the Ukraine. And mm -hmm. we did that as like a, I don't know if you're familiar with what a cost plus model is, but um, it's the model where the, we actually hire those people. We interview them. Um, they're part of our own team. They have easy texting email addresses, that all that kind of thing. Um, they're not really like an outsource company where we don't, you know, we deal with like one manager and we don't know who's working on our stuff. So we, we kind of, we considered them part, you know, easy texting employees, um, but we had to pay them through a third party and they did all the HR and all that kind of stuff. Cause there's a lot of um, complications with having, um, you know, pay, doing payroll in Ukraine and all that other kind of stuff. Um, so we kind of abstracted that away from us by hiring somebody, you know, a, a, another company. 
Um, I think by that time we were probably in the order of like 24, 20 to 25 people, something like that by the end of it. Um, mm -hmm. We were doing um, close to a little bit over 10 million in recurring revenue by that time, mm -hmm. uh, ARR. Mm -hmm. You know, um, all these techniques that you are describing of, you know, even when you were doing Junebug on your own and hiring an agency to do ad sales, and in the case of easy texting, hiring a team in Ukraine to do your development work, these are the classic, uh, you know, techniques of building capital efficient company, you know, you can do a lot with a, being a solo entrepreneur by hiring agencies to do these things. And, um, and, and we are huge fans of these techniques because we are huge fans of capital efficient entrepreneurship, of bootstrap entrepreneurship. And I will flat out tell you I'm a huge fan of solo entrepreneurship, So, which is why I, it bugs me tremendously when uh, I have to counter this bias, industry bias, that solo entrepreneurs are not popular with investors. And that's when I you know, point to people like yourself, Shane, and, and also people like Fred Luddy, who have built very successful companies and found exits and, and you know, so on as solo entrepreneurs. So, so congratulations. It looks like you've you know, followed the textbook model of what we teach in one million by one million. I mean, what I am saying to you is a really watered down version of the tremendous amount of sleepless nights and <laughs> and uh, days and days of work and worry and um, psychological breakdowns and all the crazy stuff that comes with running your own business. Um, of course. Comes with. But it's not so, like those uh, it's not like those facts are not true when you're running a venture funded business. That is on true. On top of everything you have these investors sitting on top of your head and, and hitting you like when are you growing going to become a hundred million dollar company and you know we need you to do that within five years and, and that's that, that's also pressure. Yeah, there's something to be said by that. That if you bootstrap your own company, you know, you're only responsible to yourself, and you set your own benchmarks. Um, and you know, what is sufficient for you is very different than what is sufficient to a venture capitalist and what they want to see as a return. Um, you know, thankfully, I ran my business not to run it to sell it. That's eventually what happened, right? Yeah. Um, but I wasn't in the mindset of, okay, I'm doing this business and like, I'm gonna grow it to this much revenue and then, you know, I'm gonna sell it and, you know, like, or I'm gonna do this or that. It kind of happened organically. And I really yeah. ran my business for it to be profitable, right? Yeah. And for you it- You don't have a choice. If you're running a bootstrap business, you have no choice. You have to make right. it profitable. Otherwise, right. you go out of business. Right, right. So that that even you know, so 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 it's interesting because there were certain things that I could have done to accelerate our growth a lot, right? But I chose not to do it because it would be like highly unprofitable to do, right? Um, and I think that venture back companies have the luxury of doing that, right? Because they have a lot of burn, you know, they have runway and burn and all this money behind them. 
Uh, but I didn't have that. And, you know, it, I don't think that's very normal in the SaaS world, right? Um, but, you know, I was in it in the early stages. It is actually quite normal because there are tons and tons and tons of bootstrap SaaS companies now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, ba like I think Basecamp is, right? Like, Basecamp's like one Basecamp. of the... Many, yeah. many, many others. Yeah, and, and so, you can um, run the run the business for, for it to be your business, and you can run that business for the rest of your life potentially, and make a very good living doing so. Yeah. Well, the biggest example we have in that category is Zoho, which is a SaaS company that is, you know, we use Zoho. We, I use Zoho at Easy Texting, so there I know exactly what it is. So there you go. So um, you sold easy texting for how much? Uh, I have, I unfortunately can't say that because it's, um, you know, I, I w it was part of the deal not to say how much, but I mean, you can imagine, you know, based on the- A $10 million ERR business, <laughs> I would imagine like a $100 million exit. Uh, I can't comment on that, but you know, I, I can, all I can tell you is that the SaaS companies were not valued in 2013 the way they are now. So I wouldn't go that far, but yes. All right, fair enough. Fair okay. enough. At least a $50 million exit, I imagine. And, and you were the sole owner of the company, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Terrific. So uh, you are investing nowadays. Yeah. So after that, you know, I stayed for a few years um, with the new company and I oversaw the integration. We also did a few other acquisitions and that kind of stuff to help grow the business. Um, but then, you know, it was, it was obvious that, you know, my time there was over because I had performed my function um, and I, uh, you know, I was looking to do other things. Um, and I think what was really interesting me at that point was looking for other companies and other entrepreneurs, um, not necessarily in the tech space, uh, in, in any kind of uh, business uh, that were, you know, really smart, really savvy, thinking differently, um, doing interesting things and, you know, would need not just money, right? but um you know maybe some guidance that i could help with yeah. uh so i started doing venture investing i also started doing real estate investing because i just knew that from previous mm -hmm. experience that i had uh so i was kind of doing both of those things i've been doing both of, both of those things uh for the last let's say seven years or so um so in that's that um, give us a little insight into what kind of tech stuff do you like to invest in? We only do tech, so your real estate investing and non-tech investing is of less interest to us. But in, within sure. tech, what do you like? So actually, in? let me tell you something interesting, right? So one, I boots, I did a, a very seed stage investment about a year and a half ago uh, in a prop tech company, right? So that's that's interesting. Okay. So that kind of married okay. both. Um, yeah, with the technology and real estate uh, knowledge that I have, it's called the it's called the Resi Desk, and what it does is um, it, it's for, made for residential property owners and managers, uh, so mm -hmm. uh, like multifamily, like apartment buildings and that kind of stuff. Uh, and what it does is it 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 
it's a central communications hub, kind of like a front um, for all the residents, you know, throughout all the properties that you own or, or, or manage can kind of, it all comes into one centralized place. So if they're texting, calling, emailing, that kind of thing, it comes into one, one centralized hub. And then all the property managers and, and their managers can see how things are being com communicated, yeah. you know, in, in, in a central hub. And furthermore, it, what it does is it gives you AI and analytics to say, hey, you know, this guy in this apartment is probably not going to renew his lease because, you know, you never fixed this toilet from a week ago or something like that, right? <laughs> and it uses Google Sentiment Engine to tell you whether or not a certain conversation is likely to be, uh, a ch you know, someone who's going to churn you know, that, that, that kind of stuff. Okay. And it also gives you other AI for prospective tenants who are applying for uh, apartments and that kind of stuff. So that's, that's okay. one, that was one interesting thing where I could help a lot because I knew a lot, a lot about the messaging world, right? Yeah. Because of easy texting. And I knew a lot yeah. about, a, a lot about real estate. And I've been working with those guys intimately uh, and helping them in, many different respects from the product to uh introducing them to large uh customers that they could that i know that they, they could possibly use use their system um so that's that's that um i've been doing a lot of kind of what, what i find really interesting right now and there's this idea of who's going to disrupt the disruptors right like who, who Who's going to eventually disrupt Google or who's going to eventually disrupt Facebook or Twitter or that kind of thing, right? And the consensus out there right now is, you know, there's this idea of Web, web 3.0, right? And Web 3.0 is anything and everything that has to do with the blockchain, right? Um, not necessarily crypto, right? Like, I'm not talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum and, you know, the trading of those you know, tokens, right? I'm talking about applications that are built on top of those frameworks, right? That are decentralized, right? Yeah. So, so, I mean, if you imagine, you know, a decentralized Twitter, right? Where everyone, yeah. goes, go, and, and there is one right now, I forgot the name of it, but it's like a really rudimentary version. It's like, kind of like, it's kind of like what, web you know websites looked back when yahoo was like the incumbent right it you know they look clunky in the beginning and then you know then there's the web 2.0 right and now everything is much better but this is like the early stages of that time right um it's clunky it doesn't work as well it's not as thought out as twitter is but what's interesting about it is that it's decentralized right and, and before you come in, you know what the rules are, right? And yeah. so you can rest assured that unless there's a huge community consensus, those rules won't change, right? And, and you know, Twitter changes the rules or bends the rules all the time, right? Because it's, it's a centralized yeah. system. Um, and there's, there's a lot of power in decentralization. Um, and, and the thought is, is that if you could use something that's decentralized, and it takes away the incentive of the company that, you know, has centralized it 
from changing the rules on you constantly, um, yeah. most people would prefer to use that eventually. Okay. Um, so there's, there's a lot of stuff that I've been looking at in, in that realm of applications built on top of the, 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 the blockchain and not, not as obvious as like the financial stuff that people are talking about, right? Like DeFi and that kind of stuff. Um, just, you know, stuff that are like much. In that ahead. process, have you met any entrepreneur who is trying to uh, merge the world of art collecting and blockchain? Uh, yeah, well, I have, I, I haven't met them, but I've, I've seen some decks and stuff on this, on this, um, well, if you can locate them, can you send them to me? Because I'm looking for entrepreneurs who can, I have a concept that merges those two that I've published and I'm looking for an entrepreneur team to execute on that. Well, there's, there's a lot of. There's a lot of tech being developed where they're giving you the tools to create your own NFTs, essentially, right? So, so, so no, I'm looking for somebody who wants to run a marketplace, actually. Oh, okay, yes. Of art okay. collectors, but that's blockchain hinged marketplace. I would imagine things like Sotheby's and stuff will eventually move to that model too. But who knows? Let's see. You know, like that. That that's you know. That's that's uh, th they're starting to sell NFTs too, right? These 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 okay. big auction houses are starting to sell them. But and so eBay, they mean the eBay just announced that yeah. bandwagon. Yeah, eBay just announced that they're going to allow you, you have the uh, NFTs. So uh, th those are the types of things that I've been looking at. Um, you know, I've done some other kind of, um, let me think of some other kind of tech, you know, I, I've done some kind of robotic, I, I like robotics or anything that can be automated. So there's a company named RoboTire that I invested in that does automated uh, tire tire changes um, and have already gotten some, uh, some traction with some customers and their technology mm -hmm. is solid, um, th those types of things. I have an augmented reality company that is operating in the real estate market. So that may be one that I will send you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a big thing right now, especially why I, I think COVID accelerated that, right? So, you know, a lot of people now, you know, it, it's funny, a lot of brokers tell me that what they want now is before they actually physically go to see the place, they want to FaceTime to see exactly. the place and then decide exactly. if they want to see the place, <laughs> right? Exactly right, but that requires the backend to be viable at scale. Yeah, for sure. So if you could pre-do that, right, that would be great. So the, the you know, it's like you, you take one recording, they look in, they look at it, and then they see if they want to see it or not, yeah. Is Neiman Ventures your money or do you have limited partners also? Uh, it's mostly my own. Um, there are certain times when, uh, if I'm doing a larger deal, I'll do what's called an SPV. Um, syndicate. Yeah, I'll syndicate. Special purpose vehicles, okay. Yeah, uh, and and it's usually just like friends and family of mine that I that I know that would be interested in you know following along uh, with a certain. Type what check sizes are you writing? I mean, I've written. As l l low as ten thousand to 
half a million bucks, depending okay. on how the, I mean, we've done much larger ones, but at large, at, at much later stages, let's just say. So now, when you do early things, you're very comfortable with going in really early. Yeah, yeah. So just to give you an example, when I did the ResiDesk one, um, they hadn't even built the product yet. So yeah. um, I, I, you know, I, I was confident that they could do it. Uh, so. And you would fund solo entrepreneurs? Uh, I would. I mean, I, I, I would. <laughs> I would have to really be on board and know it. You know, I, I have no problem with that. I mean, I, I don't think. Yeah. I don't think that you know. I think that that's, that that's that's not even like a thing for me, right? Like, I don't. Really, I, I understand that some people think like that, but I don't think like that. Good. Very good. Well, it's a wonderful conversation. I'm sure yeah. our uh, audience would love that, both well, live as well as the recorded thing. Just, just to add is that, is that I did bootstrap several of my former employees with uh, seed money because after Easy Texting and after Junebug, they, they got their own ideas, right? Yeah. They saw oh. what was going on and I knew how good they were because I worked with them for years. And what yeah. better, what, like, that's the best place Absolutely. to ever invest. Because, yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Congratulations. Wonderful journey, really, Shane. I, I love your story, which is why I invited you back. And uh, I wanted you to tell the story to, uh, to a different audience. And sure. uh, we'll keep in touch. We'll probably send you some stuff uh, to look at. I, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Take care. Bye.